You're listening to the Diplomats podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City, and I'm happy to be joined today by Mina Polman, a writer for the Diplomats Japan section. How's it going today, Mina? Thanks for joining me again on the podcast. I'm really excited for this again. Absolutely. My pleasure to have you on. You have been one of our closest watchers of Japanese domestic and international affairs. And um, I think that we're a bit overdue for a podcast on Japanese domestic politics, which have been quite interesting in in the recent months. Um, I'll just kind of offer a few high level thoughts on where things are in Japan and some of the questions that I've been asked and questions that I've had about, uh, you know, where things are going. So, uh, you know, when Shinzo Abe came to power in Japanese um, in uh, December 2012, he sort of um, heralded a period of longevity for a Japanese prime minister that hadn't really been seen since Junichiro Koizumi. Uh, But this year has obviously put the Abe administration in a bit of a pickle amid multiple scandals. We have the Kake Gakuen and Morimoto Gakuen scandals that have bedeviled Abe and his close associates and even his wife. Um, but, uh, you know, just before we did this podcast, about uh, 12 to 14 hours ago, I believe, um, Japan's defense minister, who is seen as a personal protege of Abe's and commonly referred to as one of the candidates for the the first woman to become Japan's prime minister, uh, Tomomi Inada, announced her resignation amid a separate scandal related to the Japanese self-defense forces uh conditions in the South Sudan mission with the with the UN uh, peacekeeping mission there. And Inada had also been, uh, you know, prone to gaffe. She was uh, criticized before the Tokyo Metropolitan Election for politicizing the SDF. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that, you know, we are kind of in this position where um, Abe's future and the LDP's future appear to be quite uncertain. And the LDP, I don't think, is at risk of really falling out of power. But, you know, it's just a question of who will uh, potentially succeed Abe. So that's one of the questions that I want to talk to you about. Um, and, you know, one of the places to begin, Mina, I think, might be uh, your recent analysis that you did for us on the Tokyo Metropolitan Election, since that was um, an important um, event in in Japanese politics, even though it involved the politics of the national capital and not a um, and not the entire country. But can you tell us a bit about what we witnessed at those elections, and uh, and then maybe we can take the conversation towards some of the things I brought up related to Abe Inada, the LDP, and we'll even talk about the opposition a bit. So, what happened to the Tokyo Metropolitan Elections? Right. So beginning with the the Tokyo Metropolitan Elections, which are held on July 2nd, it was the worst showing for the LDP. They won 23 seats out of 127. And really the big story there was how uh, Governor Koike Yuriko, her new party, the Tokyo First Party, really came. This was their first election, and they did incredibly well with their allies. They got 79 of the 127 seats. And the 79, this number does include the Komeito Party members um, who... This is another really fascinating dynamic of this, but the Komeito continues to be allied with the LDP at the national level, but here you're seeing at the local level, they moved away, and instead of allying with the LDP, they're working with Tokyo first. Mm-hmm. Whether this is a very much a regional party, I mean, it's in the name, it's the Tokyo first party, so how much this will reverberate at the national level will remain to be seen, especially uh, the leader, the chart, you know, the leader of this movement, Koike Yuriko herself, is going to be very much caught up preparing for the Olympics. Um, she has some sort of more local issues going on as well with like the Tsukiji relocation. So her attention is going to be turned back to Tokyo for a while. But I think this was a significant event because timing-wise, you, as you said, there were all these scandals going on. You were seeing the support slipping, and it was the first time that you really saw voters able to say something about it uh, beyond just you know answering the poll question. Again, not a national election; it's just people living in Tokyo, which might be different from the national dynamic. But 
it was a wake-up call, I think, for the way the government has been, the Abe government has been handling itself. Um, you did mention, I agree, like it started kind of in January with like the Moitomo Gakuen um, and then the Kake Gakuen. And also in March, they made the decision to pull the SDF out of the peacekeeping operations in South Sudan. And I also think there was an issue with the way the anti-conspiracy bill was pushed through. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, they like kind of cut off deliberations because they wanted to get it passed before the end of the GIA session. And that, I mean, it is a legal, you know, it's a procedure that they can use, but I definitely think that didn't sit so well. And you're seeing almost 70%, this was a recent Yomiuri survey, almost 70% of Japanese are saying that they think Abe has become too arrogant. And kind of related to this point, um, I saw Tobias Harris saying something that I thought was really interesting. But this is the first time you're seeing such bad poll numbers for like Abe himself. Right. Instead of there has been opposition to his policies. And what are his numbers? Can you just tell our listeners where he where he stands in terms of public opinion? So currently, um, I found a good a good average um, trimmed average. So they took out the extremes. That's like his disapproval of the cabinet is like now 50.8 percent. Right. And the average is approving 34.2 percent. And I think the the one that had the most extremes was a Mainichi poll that was conducted earlier this week, mm-hmm. 56% disapprove, and then only 26% approve. Right. And so, um, so um, you know, that's all great detail. Um, I do want to kind of, you know, zoom out a bit, since this is a podcast on geopolitics, and obviously the Japanese leadership is an incredibly important part of setting the tone for regional politics in the country. Um, so obviously, you know, right before we did this podcast, we just witnessed another North Korean intercontinental ballistic missile launch, which is what I've been dealing with all morning. But uh, now, you know, very happy to talk Japanese politics with you. But obviously, as all this happened, we just had um, Inada uh, resign. And um, we're widely expecting a cabinet reshuffle as kind of Abe's, um, you know, some people have been calling it kind of his last chance to kind of really uh, get the tide turned back in his favor. Um, so can you tell us a bit about, you know, the factors that led up to Inada's resignation and how this reflects on Abe and his government? Right. So Inada has, her name has been floating around a lot because she's widely considered. I mean, the, use, the word used often to describe her is like Abe's protege, his favorite successor for the premiership. And she was first elected in 2005. And ever since then, when like Abe personally scouted her, um, he and then when he came back into power in 2012, she's been promoted very quickly and had a lot of high positions in the party and, and within government. The reason, so starting with the the investigation that they finally decided that yes, there was a cover up. So what was at stake was back last July, um, there's peacekeeping operations in South Sudan and then due to the way it works in Japan, um, J- the peacekeeping operations, they can only be there if there's a ceasefire. Um, and then depending on the particular words that are used in the daily logs, it's determined whether a ceasefire was effective or not. So essentially there were some problematic words that were used in the daily logs in July, and then there was subsequently a cover-up of that. Mm-hmm. So the investigation determined that there was a cover-up. The investigation did not assign responsibility for that decision to do the cover-up to Inada herself, um, but she is resigning to take responsibility for that. Right. And she is someone who a lot of her leadership ability, uh, so to speak, has been questioned um, from early on. And I would just say this isn't the only issue because also there was again like when campaigning she politicized the sdf which is like illegal in japan i mean a lot of people took her remarks saying that you know on behalf of the sdf um as an illegal remark in the sense that the 
SDF is not supposed to be a political organization. Mm -hmm. According to the Self-Defense Force Act. Right. Um, so, right. So, you know, like she's out of the scene now. Abe is without a defense minister. Uh, Fumio Kishida has yeah. taken over the portfolio uh, in the meantime. Um, and it's been interesting to see kind of his name, actually, the foreign minister uh, now being proposed as a potential um, opposing pole of power within the LDP to Abe. So, you know, I mean, what we're, um, you've already pointed out that Abe is in probably no, a more I'll difficult... If I can pick up a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Because I found this really interesting because um, I think uh, Fumio Kishida, his name has been raised before, um, I think, alongside of like Ishiba Shigeru. Um, and so Kishida-san is kind of seen ideologically a little bit different. Um, if, you know, Abe represents a more hawkish wing, uh, mm -hmm. Kishida-san would be a little bit more of the dovish wing, a wing, to put it one way. Um, he had, like organized, helped put together uh, President Obama's visit to Hiroshima, which was a great credit to him. And I think he is definitely... He's not, there's been contradict, I've seen reporting of, you know, he's like interested in staying in the cabinet, not interested in staying in the cabinet, but whatever he decides to do, it'll have implications for the LDP. If he stays right. in the cabinet, that's great for party unity. That's really good for Abe. Um, it might come with, you know, some of like members of Kishida's factions getting good appointments as well, most likely. If he decides to leave, then that could be a little bit, you know, and he or he goes for a position within the party structure. Uh, that'll be a little bit more of a signal, like he's getting ready. He wants to be able to take more of his own initiative instead of, you know, just following the government line. Mm -hmm. And so Abe is really uh, within the LDP. He has... Uh you know, opponents on both sides now in, in some ways of the party. He's always had opponents uh, further to his right uh, within the party um, who've been kind of, you know, d dissatisfied with how fast he's moving on certain things or the way he chooses to go about certain moves, especially on foreign policy and national security issues. Um, but can you talk a bit about, you know, his broader position within the party? Since if he loses the LDP's leadership, um, obviously that would, you know, preclude him from continuing as prime minister. So that's uh, kind of one of the major variables here, especially, and, you know, we'll get to this, but the opposition um, in Japan continues to, at least in my perspective, be quite um, muted. So um, where does Abe sit within the LDP today? I think, I personally think Abe is actually still okay. Okay. I mean, September 2018 is still a long ways down the road to say too much about, but I think at this point... There's no one that comes immediately to mind, like, you know, an obvious replacement choice. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, the Japanese people, much as the Japanese people as a whole, don't really have a lot of a lot of choice in terms of parties. I think a lot also within the LDP, I, again, don't really see like an immediate replacement. Someone, I mean, again, Koike Yuriko, but like that would be like post 2020. Ishiba Shigeru is still kind of out there. Um, well, Koike would be, uh, you know, she would be kind of the Macron effect for Japanese politics, yeah, right? Not LDP, not DP, a totally mm -hmm. new party. Um, mm -hmm. And I've heard some kind of, you know, competing opinions on that because, you, know, uh, you know, like you discussed, uh, the Tokyo election was obviously a local phenomenon and it's unclear if she could replicate that kind of performance on a national stage. Yeah, um, it would be very, it's still a long road ahead. It's still a very long road ahead. And I think Abe himself, I think he's, going to be all right <laughs> right okay um so let's talk a bit about the opposition real quick um so uh renho the relation um the leader of the democratic party also resigned uh recently and the japanese opposition i think the last time i had you on this podcast which was uh, several months maybe even a year ago we talked about the opposition and i think back then we both 
you know, shared a common opinion that they were uh, obviously struggling and foundering. Uh, They had obviously united to create this new party known as the Democratic Party. But, you know, I guess now, um, a year on, even as the prime minister is struggling, what does the future hold for Japan's uh, primary opposition? So going going back to the Tokyo uh, Metropolitan Elections, the Democratic Party won only five seats, which is absolutely dismal. Then um, the Sendai mayoral elections, they did manage to win. The candidate that they were backing uh, beat the candidate that the LDP was backing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have this announcement that Rinho is stepping down. I think there's just not really an ideological divide in Japan, um, sort of. A lot of other countries, I think you can say you're having like these really policy based debates. And then in Japan, like, I mean, even, you know, when his it's, you know, like back in January, I don't think we would have even thought that we'd be having this conversation. Like as mm-hmm. recently as January, I would be like, oh, Abby's fine. Like, you know, he's going to win his like third term in 2018. He'll be prime minister until 2021. I think that I was it that, yeah. back in January. So things <laughs> change very quickly. But the things that are bringing Abe down, they're not exactly policy proposals. They're all like they're all scandals. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where, like, yeah, you can use, and I, you know, I'm not saying that these aren't legitimate issues of concerns to voter about governing, uh, you know, cronyism, favoritism. These are like all legitimate issues, but they're not, they're not something that proves that the DP is like a credible governing party. They're just, it could be anyone. Anyone could be beating the LDP over the head with these issues. It doesn't have to be the DP. It's right. not because the DP offers a better vision that people are becoming more and more disillusioned with Abe. They're just becoming more and more disillusioned because they perceive him as arrogant. Mm-hmm. All right, Mina, um, you know, I, I guess I, you know, one of the ways I want to wind this conversation down, uh, you know, without like speculation, um, uh, speculating too much about the future, because you're right. I mean, September 2018 is a long way away. There's obviously multiple events that could happen. Obviously, like I said, this ICBM launch, the regional security situation could end up actually benefiting Abe, which is what some people have said, is that, uh, you know, these kinds of things uh, require kind of a steady hand. Um, and the fact that he's been in office for a while might play to his advantage here. But I guess, you know, I want to ask you just like looking at the broader regional situation, um, Japan's own shifting national security posture, everything that the Abe government has kind of gotten underway on foreign policy. Um, how do you see kind of everything that's kind of going on in Japanese domestic politics now com- coming to bear on these issues? For our listeners, I guess the uh, the big takeaway would be, you know, what should they be looking for that would uh, really have I- impact outside Japan in Northeast Asia or across the broader Asia Pacific region? I think there's... Um... There's a really good point. Uh, I was discussing this. I want to give credit uh, to Brad Glossman, but like we were talking about how Abe, you know, there's an Abe who knows that voters are concerned about the economy. That's what they care about. And then there's an Abe who really wants to push his security reforms. You know, he values national security, Japan's independence, constitutional reform. So he's always been like going kind of back and forth. And he's become better at responding to what voters want and calibrating that his, you know, his second stint as prime minister. So I think we're going we might see a shift back towards a focus on the economy, because there's so much more that can still be done. I mean, if you remember when you first came to office, like, abenomics, you know, where is the third era that never really happened? Mm-hmm. The structural reforms, like, I think um, it's easy to, you know, quickly move on. It's it's really unfortunate that the TPP got canceled because, yeah, I mean, you know, here in the U.S., we spent a lot of political capital on that, but also they did, you know, Japan, it was a big deal. They took on JA to get this passed. And like all of, you know, the reforms that hopefully TPP would have been able to bring in, the changes, all of that's gone. So there's a lot of work, I think, to be, you know, they can pick up on the economy. Abe is still standing by. He wants to, um, 
he still wants to do, you know, go ahead with the constitutional reform. He's still saying at this point uh, he wants the LDP to come up with a proposal by this fall and it wants the implementation by 2020. Um, but I think I'm ho hopeful that this might be a wake up call that, you know, it's still the economy that people, you know, that the voters are going to care about. Right. Well, um, Mina, I think you've given us a lot of food for thought and a lot of things to kind of look forward to in Japanese politics. Um, so thanks for joining me today to uh, talk about some of these recent developments in Japan. Yeah, thank you so much, Ankit. Absolutely. And for listeners who are interested in keeping up with Mina's work, she does uh, write first regularly at The Diplomat, so keep an eye on her articles where she'll be discussing a lot of the topics that we touched on today. So uh, if you like this podcast, make sure that you do subscribe to keep up with future episodes. And if you've, been, if you've been a subscriber for a while but you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, please do so. It really helps, the, uh, really helps get the word out about the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back soon with more.